Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in the book of Psalms, chapters 22 through 24, called the Shepherd Psalms. Spurgeon says, yet Jesus not only endured the withdrawal of the Father's fellowship, but also the actual outpouring of the Father's wrath upon him as a substitute for sinful humanity. This was the blackness and darkness of his horror. Then it was that he penetrated the depths of the caverns of suffering. To be forsaken means to have the light of God's countenance and the sense of his presence, says voice eclipsed, which is what happened to Jesus as he bore the wrath of God against sin for us. And then Spurgeon one more time says, it was necessary that he should feel the loss of his father's smile for the condemned in hell must have tasted that bitterness. And therefore the father closed the eye of his love, put the hand of justice before the smile of his face and left his son to cry, my God, my God, why have you left me all alone? Yet Isaiah 53.10 says that please the Lord to crush him because he would become a sin offering for us. And this, my brethren, is the cost of the cross. And I don't think that we wrestle enough with the significance of the horror that Jesus felt. And it's not just the public humiliation of the hours upon the cross. It's not just the betrayal of friends and enemies. It's not the mo- just the mockery or the agony of what crucifixion would do to somebody. It's all of that plus this spiritual uh, situation that he is going through as he drinks the cup of God's wrath as he deals with the darkness of spiritual death. Now, I again want to be very careful in the way in which I communicate this because um, you know Jesus is tasting death for each one of us, but I will let you wrestle with what that meant at the cross. But I will tell you this, it was from the cross that Jesus finished our redemption because it is from the cross that he says, It is finished, and we'll see this at the end of the psalm, which is paid in full. Why don't you just look ahead for a second so you get a little encouragement. It says, they will come and will declare his righteousness to all people who will be born, that he has performed it. You can see this as a bookend on verse 1. Or it is done or it is finished. You could safely translate it that way. And so, verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer, and by night, and I have no rest. Psalm 38, 21 and 22 says, Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. A quick note on structure. The suffering will be laid out in verses 1 through 21. The glory which follows the suffering will be laid out in verses 22 through 31. And then the words we just read in verse 31, he has performed it or it is done or it's a done deal. Now when you're in a situation like David and he's the one that penned the psalm and you're feeling the heaviness of life and even feeling forsaken and maybe even forsaken by God, what do you do? (laughs) What do you 
do yourself or what would you share with somebody about what to do when you're feeling this way? Well, we have uh, a strong directive in verse 3. And notice what David does. He says, yet, but, 22.3, you are holy. O thou who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. If you have a King James, it says, thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Now, you may not have seen this before, but it is in the famous Psalm 22 that we get the idea that God inhabits the praises of his people. And one of the things that we can do when we're feeling the heaviness of life and even feeling spiritually like we're far from God or he's far from us or disconnected or spiritually dry is turn our attention to who God is. And what we see in verse 3 is that God is what? He is holy. Now, my immediate thought when I think about the holiness of God is I think of that's why God judges sin and that's why he is pure and majestic and above his creation. And all of that is true. But the holiness of God is also a positive because since God is holy, that means God is good. That means God is righteous. And some of the things that I need to do when I'm going through difficult times, and we all will, is I need to turn to what I know about God. I need to remember God's nature. God's nature is love. You know, we often hear people say from 1 John, God is love, and that's true. But God's nature is captured more often in the word holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And God's holiness speaks of his distinction from his creation, that he is pure and undefiled and that he made the world and that he dwells in unapproachable light and he is unique as unique can be. And David now turns and says, God, you're holy and you, even though I'm going through a tough time, you're enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And remember, David became the king of Israel. It was his nation. You inhabit the praises of your people. And I just want to tell you, that as we take a shift in the psalm, a pause away from the pain and restlessness, it's a shift away from my pain and back to God. It's refocusing my gaze on the author and perfecter of my faith. And Jesus, since we believe that by quoting the first part of the psalm, he was able to do this even from the cross. Um, this is what we need to do. David was able to do this in his situation. And we bear some metaphorical crosses, right? We go, we take up our cross and we follow him. Sometimes we say, my cross is my boss. Sometimes we say, my cross is my in-laws. Well, we're not going to go there tonight. Uh, but whatever it may be, uh, we turn our gaze back to God. We refix our eyes. In fact, the language in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, when it says fixing your eyes, it means to look away from what you were looking at and look to God. So it means look away from the thing that's stumbling or distracting you or so easily entangling you and fix your eyes back on Jesus. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes when life is heavy, is to fix our, our gaze back where it belongs. But that's what David is doing. 1 Peter 3.15 is a familiar verse. It says, But sanctify Christ as Lord, remember what it says? In your hearts. And then it says, And always be ready to give an answer a reason for the hope that you have. Now, I want you to hear the first part of 1 Peter 3.15, maybe with fresh ears. Sanctify Christ as Lord, where? In your hearts. Now, you don't make him Lord. He's already King of kings and Lord of lords, but you have to regularly set him apart as Lord, where? 
in your heart. You have to re-sanctify His Lordship in your life. Everybody with me? You have to make that official from your end. You need to re-enthrone Him every day and maybe every moment of every day. Amen? You need to say, Jesus, You are Lord of my life, and I believe You are on the throne. And Him being enthroned upon the praises of Israel is an interesting thought. The Hebrew word here is a word... Uh, I believe it's pronounced yashab or yasab. And it means to dwell, to remain, to sit, or to uh, abide. Um, a little debate about, about the word uh, because it ha- can have the idea of a king kind of moving to his throne and being enthroned. But it also has the idea of dwelling or abiding. And I'll just say this. We don't re-enthrone God as king in heaven, right? He's always on his throne. But one thing that worship does for us is it reminds us of where God is. Amen? So maybe a good way for us to think about it, just to put it simply, is that when I worship, God gets re-enthroned in my heart. And I sense that when I worship, and I'm talking not here just about music, but of course that's a big part of it, just the worship we just did, musical worship. He gets re-enthroned in my heart. And have you noticed when I, and this is what I experience, when I worship, he touches me back. So for those of you who come late to the church service and you don't dig the singing thing, you need to learn how to worship. Because you are missing a big part of what it means to commune with God when you don't worship with music. And by the way, you are reading a song right now. You need to know that every psalm that you read was a song set to music, Remember? And so a key component of your Christian life is going to be worship, and it will be musical connection with God. He is the chief musician, if you will. And one of the ways that you re-commune with God and you sense His presence is in the time of music and worship. That's why we say that worship leaders often bring us to the throne of God. We know what we're saying, right? We're saying that the music and the words and calling upon the name of the Lord in a corporate body, there's something significant and beautiful and precious about that, that there's, there's nothing like it. I've never experienced anything like it in the whole world. I have some songs I enjoy. You know, they might be songs from the past or whatever. I like the tune, I like the beat, but there is nothing like worshiping my God because there's a spiritual reality. And if we go with the King James translation, he inhabits our praises. There's something special that happens when we worship. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hey, I'm Rob Newton, the producer of Walk in Truth. Since we began on this journey of reaching out with God's truth to all people, we have grown to be on four radio stations in Southern California, Arizona, Idaho, and Utah, reaching people from all walks of life and faiths. Our program has also reached listeners in 49 countries. If you are a financial partner, thank you for recognizing the importance of Walk in Truth's presence on radio and podcast, and for praying for people's lives to be changed through hearing and responding to the messages aired each week. Through our partnership together, Walk in Truth has been able to carry God's message of hope to thousands of listeners who may be feeling stress, confusion, and hopelessness. 
Walking Truth's total budget for radio airtime, promotion, equipment, supplies, and staffing is over $150,000 a year. Our goal has always been to become 100% listener-supported and to expand into more radio stations as God provides. Our current level of listener financial support is about 25%. Can you give a one-time tax-deductible donation today? Please visit walkintruth.com to donate online or get the mailing address. That's walkintruth.com. If you just tuned in, then you missed the first half of today's edition of Walk in Truth. That's okay. You can listen to this episode and many others whenever it's convenient for you on your free Living Truth app. Walk in Truth is also on your favorite podcast app. Simply search for and subscribe to Walk in Truth on apps like Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and many more. Listening to a podcast as well as radio is a great way to get some time in the Word when you're walking, catching up on some work, or if you're like me and just need to listen to some Bible teaching while getting ready in the morning. Remember, you can find Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. I have some songs I enjoy. You know, they might be songs from the past or whatever. I like the tune. I like the beat. But there is nothing like worshiping my God because there's a spiritual reality. And if we go with the King James translation, he inhabits our praises. There's something special that happens when we worship. Now, as he has turned his gaze to God, he goes back and he looks at a little bit of history of his people. He says, in thee, in God, our fathers trusted. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. To thee they cried out and were delivered. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. Now, since David is writing about 1,000 uh, B.C., probably the immediate reference is to the uh, Exodus. Uh, but there's other situations that David could be talking about. But our fathers turned their trust to you, and you were faithful. Now, I can't help, since I'm an American citizen, to think about our own country's history. And with all the bumps and bruises and all the debates about the history and all that we could, we could say was wrong and uh, we did wrong, there was a heart at the beginning of this nation to worship God freely to worship according to the dictates of one's conscience, to dedicate this country to God. In fact, the founders said they didn't believe that America could work unless the people of America were godly people and that they were reading their Bibles. And I'm just telling you, this was the founders' hearts. They believed that a constitutional republic could not work unless the people were really governed, self-governed by God. Everybody with me? Because when you have the kind of society that we have, Ultimately, what you're saying is it's a government for the people and by the people. And if the people can self-govern, if they can be under the dictates of the word of God, if they will follow God's ways because that's their desire, somebody doesn't have to tell them to do it. That's just what they want to do because they're in love with God. That's what will make this republic work. And that's why when people came and visited America, and I don't remember who the person was, but when they, you know, the, the famous quote, we look, I look for the greatness of America and this and this and this, and I actually found the greatness of America in its pulpits. Because in its pulpits, the word of God was ringing forth, and there wasn't a bunch of, you know, nonsense going on, and preachers were preaching, and people were hearing, and it was still imperfect, but the nation was 
at least largely not ashamed to say this is what we believe. And if you come here, we will love you and we will embrace you. But this is what we stand for. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way, to say that this is what we're about. And if you want to come here, this is, this is what we believe. And so they cried to you and they were delivered. Why am I ignored? <laughs> the use of the plural pronoun of our fathers shows us how uh, Jesus says one writer, this is Spurgeon, is one with his people even on the cross. Our fathers trusted in you. David, looking back to how God delivered. But I, by contrast, six, I am a worm. Literally, you could render this because the Hebrew word is tola. I am the scarlet and not a man, a reproach of men despised by the people. Even though you delivered our fathers in the past, I feel like a worm. Now, I don't know if you, you guys think much about worms. I, I don't. But I do know that fishermen use worms. And I do know that sometimes if you're digging in your backyard, you might come across an earthworm or something. Think about the idea of a worm. That's kind of about as low as you can go. Amen? They usually live underneath the soil. They usually are, they have, there's no consideration by humanity about a worm. I could care less about a worm, right? And get this, David and the Messiah, Christ, feel like a worm. About as low as you can get. Now, if you've ever hit a low spot in your life, and I know we all have, and some of you may be there tonight, I mean, you might you might be saying, I'm at the lowest point I've ever been. The Messiah understands. You have a great high priest who can sympathize because he felt like a worm. He felt like people could, could care less. They just would rather step on him than care about him. He felt as low as you can feel. The Hebrew word for worm is tola. It's spelled T-O-W-L-A in as we transliterate the word. It's also translated scarlet 38 times in the Old Testament, crimson once. <clears throat> Listen to this. When someone wanted to dye something in those days, back in the day, they would take the worm, the tola, and grind it up. Then they would take the material they wanted to dye and dip it in. When the tola or the worm wants to reproduce, the female tola will climb up a tree fasten itself to the tree onto a branch or limb of the tree, bear its eggs. The eggs then hatch and become larvae. The larvae then eat the body of the worm that birthed them. Thus the worm dies. The worm gives her life in the birthing of her young. Then a crimson spot, a scarlet spot, is left on the branch of that tree as the body has been consumed by the larvae. The New International Bible Encyclopedia tells us that the scarlet spot on the branch of that tree, uh, scarlet initially dries out, and get this, after three to four days, it actually changes colors into white or being as white as snow, and the color then falls or flakes away off of the tree. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus dies on the tree, the blood-stained cross, to make us as white as snow. Though our sins be as scarlet, they will be what? Whiter than snow. He, 
He makes us pure. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so God who lives in the highest heights took on the lowest lows and he did it because God so loved the world that he gave. And Paul says, he loved me and he gave himself up for me. He became the tola. He became the worm. Amazing. This is what he goes through on the cross. All who sneer, who, all who see me, this is verse 7 back in Psalm 22. All who see me snare at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head. They say, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. These words describe what we saw earlier. And I just mentioned it in passing, but you can write down Matthew 27, 27 through 31 and Matthew 27, 39 through 44. And essentially as the people walk by the cross, they're wagging their head. And they're going, you who said that you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? You who claim to be the Son of God. Yeah, you're the Son of God, huh? Come down from the cross and we'll believe in you. You're a joke. That's what people did. They walked by and they mocked him. They ridiculed him. They spit upon him. And if you had the power that the Son of God had at the cross to send those people into eternal hell at that moment with a word, what would you have done? You call me a worm? I'll make you a worm. I'll send you a place to a place where the worm doesn't die. And you can, you can figure that out for the next couple million years. <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't repay evil for evil. Insult for insult. Peter says, while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. This is 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You've been listening to The Shepherd Psalms, Part 2 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's first sermon in Psalm 22. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can watch Pastor Michael's sermons and the full services with worship when you follow our YouTube channel. Michael Lance is the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California, and we would love it if you would join us at one of our Sunday morning services. But if you live outside of Southern California or you're unable to visit us, you can always watch live on the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel. Best way to find the videos is visit walkintruth.com, then click on YouTube. Again, visit walkintruth.com and click on YouTube. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, one of the aspects of the incredible Psalm 22 is to see how it's fulfilled in the death of Jesus on the cross. And, you know, the psalm opens with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we talk about how Jesus Christ took God's wrath at the cross. And you say, well, how does that work? Well, Jesus Christ was treated on the cross as though he had committed your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. 
And instead of God judging us, he judges the sinless lamb, the sinless substitute. This is what God does. He takes the perfection of Christ, allowing Jesus Christ to suffer for us, gives us his perfection, and laid on him our sin. Now, how does that work exactly? Well, what it is, is it's someone dying in your place, someone paying your fine, namely God the Son. It is an amazing thing to consider. And this is what we need to tell people when we're explaining the gospel, that Jesus Christ took the wrath of God for us. You can look at Romans 5, especially verses 8 through 10, to get a little bit more on this incredible truth of the good news of the gospel. Well, you can learn more about Walk in Truth when you go to the LT app, the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app. Download it in your app store. Look for the red logo with the pillars, and you can find out, catch up on past uh, messages, find out more about the church behind Walk in Truth, and much, much more. We'll see you right here tomorrow for more on Psalm 22. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Your financial gift helps us broadcast on radio, provide the podcast, and do free apologetic events. It's all part of our mission to equip you with the truth in the Bible and to help you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Please consider becoming a monthly partner, too. $5 a month is greatly needed. Or give a one-time, end-of-the-year, tax-deductible donation. Please visit walkintruth.com and click Donate. That's walkintruth.com. Or you can write a check and mail your gift to walkintruth. P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. That's Walk in Truth, P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Psalm 22 called The Shepherd Psalms. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.